Hey, it's Mike Halford from the Halford and Bruff Podcast. One, thanks for downloading. Two, thanks for listening. Three, why not leave a review while you listen to the podcast? And now, back to the show. It's not very often that you're scrolling through like uh, Twitter at uh, 11 o'clock in the evening as you're trying to fall asleep and noticing like everybody talking about this wild Yankees and Mariners <laughs> game. Crazy finish. It was a crazy finish. One nothing in 13 innings. The Mariners allowed just three total bases for the entire night against the Yankees. Pretty not, impressive. Not a bad pitching performance. And they almost lost several times. <laughs> the Yankees had two separate innings, the 11th and the 12th in this game, where they only saw two batters go to the plate. Because, yes, baseball does this funky thing where, like, you know, when we were on the schoolyard back when we were kids. Oh, yeah. Ghost runner on second. What? They do that in real baseball now? Yes. Yes, they do. Except this ghost runner can get doubled up. <laughs> <laughs> can cost your team an out. I uh, love to see it. Uh, so, yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was good. I, I could have gone for a performance like that from the Jays' bullpen last night. Oh, I'll tell you that. Don't. Tell, I'll tell you that much. Don't even, don't even get me started. Well, we may as well get get it started. It is uh, Halford and Bruff in the morning. I'm Dan Richo. He is uh, Jamie Dodd. We're here all week. Try the veal. Uh, also, the official automotive sponsor of Halford and Bruff is the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today. An hour one of the program is brought to you by Avenue Machinery. Build your company to win with Kubota from Avenue Machinery. Let's get to what happened. Did you guys see the game last night? No. What happened? I missed all the action because I was... We know how busy your life can be. What happened? You missed that? You missed that? What happened? What happened? Uh, Well, you just mentioned it, Jamie. The uh, Blue Jays. Blowing it against the Baltimore Orioles. Took a 5-4 lead. Then there was a rain delay. Come back from the rain delay. They've got... The new bullpen arms, or arm, I should say, <laughs> ready to go. <laughs> Anthony Bass does his job. And then, uh, yeah, Adam Simber and Yimmy Garcia do not do theirs. And after uh, after our guy, who we definitely didn't rip yesterday, Bo Bichette, came up with a huge game. Yeah. A couple of home runs. Definitely were not ripping on Bo Bichette yesterday. Yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. Bo, <laughs> Bo Bichette's my favorite player. Never doubted him for a second. He was listening to you guys. Never, never <laughs> questioned. That all based out of spite. Never questioned his uh, his approach at the plate or no. anything like that. No, always knew. Always knew he had it in him. I, but You know, always smart approach. Takes the ball the other way. <laughs> Makes the pitcher work. It takes takes what the pitcher's giving him. I don't think I've ever seen him swing out of his shoes. <laughs> ever. Never, never happened before. Maybe if somebody else got a hit last night, that would have helped the Jays, though. Yeah, that would have made a difference. But Or at least a big hit. It's just a... They get to the eighth inning. They have uh, runners on. Two runners on. Nobody out. <laughs> it was just like three awful Can't do anything. at-bats. Can't do anything. Can't even advance the runner. Yeah. Three awful at-bats. Baseball really is the most frustrating sport. I, I don't know if people don't realize this yet, but Jays lose 6-5. And, uh, like, for example, if you're a Mariners fan watching that game last night, you're so invested, great pitching duel, Garrett Cole, Luis Castillo, your new guy on the mound, throwing eight innings, shutout ball against the big bad Yankees, and yet you're, like, grinding. You're biting your nails down to the just the absolute studs until the 13th inning before – 
they actually get the run in and walk it off. Um, if they had lost that game, how frustrated is everybody leaving T-Mobile Field last night? Massively. It's like it's it's the most upsetting way to lose a game. It yeah. would be incredibly frustrating. Well, especially you know against the Yankees and yeah. also in the middle of a playoff race. Yeah. But I, the Jays series is incredibly frustrating so far too because all of a sudden Baltimore only a couple games behind them. Those dang pesky Orioles. Yeah, Ryan Mountcastle. Oh. Jay's killer, Ryan Mountcastle. And the Orioles closer coming into the Omar whistle. Yes. From the wire. I don't know if you guys saw that. I did not see that, I did not notice the, that. The new intro for their closer is yeah. uh, if you guys watch the wire. Yeah. He he walks out to this. So it's it's pretty intimidating, I feel like. If you watch the wire, you, you get the yeah. reference. Omar coming. Omar's yeah. coming. It's uh, it's pretty good for a Baltimore team to use. It's not that. bad. It's, it's not good. bad. Uh Bautista, their new closer. Yeah, not Scared not the Bautista, Bautista I would no, normally associate with, yeah. but uh, really impressive. It's a it's a big big week for like walkout music for closers, eh? <laughs> Between Edwin Diaz and now this guy, it's great. It's it's one of the best like tradition when it, when it really clicks with the fans and the closer and the closer is actually like deserving of a cool entrance. Yeah. It's awesome. It's fantastic. The only thing I my only gripe with this Omar whistle. Is apparently Batista has never seen the wire. Nah. So that's that's my only gripe with So it. who decided on this? Somebody yeah, the, told the him. PA guy. Somebody Man. somebody from the team was like, hey, here, listen, here's what we're doing, pal. <laughs> You're gonna like it, all right? That makes it infinitely less cool though. I know. It's disappointing. Uh Orioles now just two and a half games back, actually just two full games back of the Blue Jays. And in the wild card, the Orioles are now half a game back of the Tampa Bay Rays. So the surprise season for the Baltimore Orioles continues. And, uh, I mean, it was a big series for them and also a big series for the Jays. Mm-hmm. But they've taken Not going great. Nope, not, <laughs> not going great. Not going great. And uh, the Mariners right now are uh, feeling pretty good, especially after that win last night. They are... Uh, a full game back of the Jays for the top wildcard spot in the American League. So that's what happened in baseball last night. Uh, Serena Williams remains probably the biggest sports story around. Uh, you heard some of the clips coming into the show with the reactions. We're going to talk to Nick McCarville coming up after 7 o'clock. Anytime uh, a big story like this drops uh whether it was you know when when we first found out the Sedines were retiring yeah. right like what happened on 650 that day we just like all right clear the decks yeah try we're to talking get talking Hank and Danny the rest of the day <laughs> try to get anybody who ever played with them right and yeah. that's uh kind of what yesterday was a little bit just uh reading and listening and watching all of the reaction to Serena Williams, who plans to retire after the U.S. Open. She'll play tonight in Toronto. Pretty good uh, setup they've got at the National Bank Open. It's going to be Leila Annie Fernandez on center court, followed by Serena, followed by Bianca Andreescu, uh, who won her match yesterday in straights. So I, I don't know how much left there is to say about Serena, but it really just reiterated the icon that she is, not just as a tennis player, but as a pop culture figure, Mm -hmm. as just a significant figure of the last 20 plus years in 
in the world and what she's meant on so many different levels for athletes of both genders. Well, even you just look at the way she announced the retirement, right? With the the cover story in Vogue. You yeah. know what I mean? There's only so many athletes that can pull that off that yeah. Vogue would even be interested in doing that for, right? Yeah. And she's one of them. And that speaks to what you're saying, that the reason you saw, you know, not just sports talk radio shows and sports people reacting to the news, but people all across the spectrum reacting to the news, right? Because she has that kind of crossover impact and that crossover appeal. And yeah, I mean, as I said, like she's even kind of handling her retirement in a unique way, announcing it herself with the big spread with, you know, all, and then Vogue does the deep dive into all the different aspects of her career. And now she gets kind of a short, but still a significant farewell to her. Right. So she yeah. announced it at the, I think a really smart time. People get to come out and see her at this tournament. And then at the U S open knowing that it's the last chance. And it, it's it just kind of speaks to her her natural ability to I don't want to say market herself that makes it sound cheap but to, to just kind of use her charisma right and and use her star power in certain ways. It's uh, what everything she says is very uh, powerful usually right and you you read some of what she mentioned in the Vogue article and in, in her personal essay you know, talking about wanting to grow her family and being able to do that. And some of the things that she said even prior to, because she was asked about her future before this Vogue uh, story dropped, the day before it dropped in Toronto when she was doing a news conference. And she basically just said, I'm looking forward to freedom. And I I found that somewhat fascinating because, yeah, as as an athlete, uh, you are almost... uh, you are married to the job, mm-hmm. right? You're married to constantly training. You're married to the tour and the travel that that consists of, especially on the tennis tour. And you know, she mentions in her article as well, I want to grow my family. <laughs> I'm not a dude. So that is an entirely different you know, scenario for me than it would be for somebody on the men's tour. And it's not something she wants to go through again after, after having done it once uh, prior to in her career. So it's going to be a fascinating day in Toronto. Yeah. And what happens in the lead up to that Serena match? The freedom quote is really interesting as well, because yeah, she doesn't play as many events as she would have at her peak in her prime, or as you know, some of the other younger players on tour do. But when you think about the commitment that it takes for someone, an athlete at her age, right. To just keep themselves in the kind of shape and the form necessary to compete when they do play like that in and of itself is a full-time commitment. Right. And so just having the freedom from that and not constantly be okay. How am I training? How am I getting my body ready for the next challenge? That would be a huge, huge weight off your shoulders when you actually do decide to step aside and hang it up. Um, we'll keep an eye on that. Nick McCarville is going to join us uh, coming up at seven o'clock. So a couple of other things I wanted to touch on. Um, it wasn't even friends and family at the WJC uh, in Edmonton. No, it wasn't. Yesterday, <laughs> the first game, uh, Czech Republic against Slovakia, there was like four people in the crowd. And that's a come on, that's a rivalry matchup. Yes, there was more people covering the game. Uh, prospect prospect analysts around the globe watching that than there were people in the bar. It was surreal to yeah. see. It felt like being back at the height of the pandemic. It's like, oh, yeah. they're not letting fans in. That's yeah. just like staff that's sitting in there. It's like, no, no, you can just go buy a ticket anytime. Anybody yeah. is welcome. This could theoretically be a sellout. Yeah. It's there's like, like 
10 people there. I, I couldn't. I knew the ticket sales were a bit soft. But then to still see nobody there. Literally nobody almost. Like that game has never sold out at a World Junior Tournament. You know? No, but you got a few thousand at least. Yeah, you, you would still have some people because they usually sell like the double Package headers, tickets, right? They yeah. sell, like you get a day long ticket and you get access to all three games. Yeah, I went right? to one of the ones in Victoria when they had right. it here. It's, it's pretty cheap. You can go to any game you want pretty much for yeah. bare minimum. Yeah. So it, it's not and like you, it's expensive. And you know, you get the excitement of the first game. Oh, hey, yeah, I'll go to the first game. And, and to be fair, look, I'm not saying they're headlining teams, but it's not like this was like Latvia versus Kazakhstan. Like yeah. good players come out of Czechia and Slovakia. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's they're two decent hockey teams yes. here. I, I got to remember Czechia instead of Czech Republic. It's, uh, it's going to be a process for That's me. What they want now. Um, so it it was just it was it was somewhat startling to to see that. Obviously, today will be more of a test with Canada. Yeah. on the ice, but um, we'll see. It's just you know again. With all surrounding Hockey Canada and this tournament and the fact that it is in early August, really just so many factors piling on each other to contribute to this. And I, I'm i curious how it, how excitement, if at all, builds as the tournament yeah. goes on. You know, like if, if it's Canada-US in the final with Connor Bedard headlining, oh, yeah. like people will still show up for that, but... You know how much of a how much of a uh, interest is there until we get there? What if Canada is eliminated in the quarterfinals or something? Though you yeah. know what I mean, the semifinal and the final could be really interesting from an attendance perspective. Then, yeah. right? Like if it's you know Finland versus uh, Russia in the final or something like that, how yeah. much interest is that going to draw? Now, who knows? Right? We'll we'll see where things go. But at this point, you really only expect the Canadian games to be well attended, and then. Yeah, hopefully the semifinal and the final. And I, I would expect even in the knockout round uh, in general, you'll see better better attendance. But it was just a completely surreal scene. And I don't know. I mean, it, it would be uh, it would be kind of fascinating to be one of those, you know, few dozen fans in a massive, beautiful yeah. new NHL building. Like, mm-hmm. what was the concourse like? You know what I mean? We're all... <laughs> There must have been more concession yeah. workers than there were fans in the building. Somebody, no lines, I guess. Tell the concession workers, like, hey, maybe, uh, maybe don't pre-prep, pre-prep <laughs> too much food, eh? Uh, don't, don't have a row of beers yeah. <laughs> lined up ready to go. <laughs> maybe chill on the popcorn today. <laughs> like, don't make too much. Do they get to take it home after? Maybe they yeah. make some. Oh more. man, uh, it's summer holiday season. No, it's a good point. How many people actually stay in Edmonton? That's the for thing. Summer holidays, yeah, a right? lot of people are traveling out of town. Hundred percent. There's one place I want to go for the summer holidays. I'll tell you, it's Edmonton. Minor Matt in Abbotsford says, uh, "Meh, I don't think I'm going to tune into any of the Team Canada games." Sir, Minor Matt in Abbotsford, not Edmonton. Uh, I don't think I'm going to tune into any of the Team Canada games. They don't deserve my time right now. And yeah, well, I mean, we'll see how the people of Edmonton uh, attend the Canadian game. But I, I'm guessing there's a lot of people who feel like Minor Matt does right now. Yeah, there's. Uh... It's hard to support Hockey Canada as they uh, continue to, well, they continue to try and uh, not move into the future. <laughs> are are you guys shocked that they're still wearing the uniform? That was the one thing that stood out to me, the logo. The Hockey Canada yeah. logo? Are you surprised that they're still wearing and not going to some sort of generic or alternate Canada jersey? I'm not. I'm not shocked. Yeah, I see what you're saying, but I'm not 
it doesn't shock me that they decided to do that. You know, I, mm-hmm. I think the women's team talked about this in the upcoming women's world championship, how, you know, they don't necessarily want to be uh, yeah. supportive of hockey Canada of course. for obvious reasons. But at the same time, they, they want to do what's right for their team and the, the work that they've put in and for the women's game. Yeah. The women's champion world championships coming up is going to be really fascinating because it is a different feel. Obviously, like that program is not involved in any of these allegations. It's mm-hmm. a completely separate thing. So it's going to be interesting to see how people rally behind that team and how it's different than what we see at the World Juniors. And just on your point uh, about the the Hockey Canada logo right now, Balak, I was at a Lids a couple of weeks ago and they are selling Hockey Canada hats. And I just walked by I was like... That's a tough sell right now. Yeah. You might need to slash the price on those a little bit. I don't know who's walking in to buy a Hockey Canada hat at the moment. Might need to uh, might put need those to put on the, the clearance rack, yeah, maybe. Put those on the clearance rack or just stuff them away somewhere in a box, somewhere in the back. Uh, Hockey Canada did appoint a um, interim chair of their board of directors yesterday. Andrea Skinner now taking over until elections in November. And uh, the same questions... Still do apply for Hockey Canada and, and their board of and directors. And doesn't it feel like there just haven't been nearly as many resignations as there should have been mm-hmm. or you would expect in this situation? Well, even even the one resignation that we have had, Michael Brindamore, I mean, he was up for re-election yeah. in November. And it, it's like, well, you're not going to get re-elected anyway. Yeah. So this is very much... <laughs> so he's just leaving a couple months early. Just like uh, self-serving. Like, yeah, like I'm doing the right thing. Like, oh, come on. We all see the writing on yeah. that. Yeah. And, and I guess maybe the hope internally was that would kind of satisfy people. But if they were expecting that, I think they were way off. There's no way. So I, it, it's a very, very strange situation. I'm shocked we haven't seen... More changes and more people stepping aside at Hockey Canada already. Um, it's part of the problem too, though. Is it, it, you know the board of directors? They're the ones that have overseen all of what's ha- gone on and all of what's happened within the organization, and yet nobody or very little is changing amongst the board of directors. You know, mm-hmm. who does Scott Smith have to answer to? Like he answers to them, but they're the ones that are approving a lot of what's happened mm-hmm. with Hockey Canada through the years. So if they're not changing too much, how is the organization, the way they handle their business, changing at all? Yeah, it's not clear. No. <laughs> it's not clear how it's supposed to uh, to change. And essentially, that's what the government is asking. It's yeah. Like, you know, how, ca- how can we trust you to, to actually change the way you do things if the people that run the show aren't changing all that much? Yeah. Uh, so that's uh, the latest with hockey. And even Canada. we should point out, you know, yeah. with Andrea Skinner being appointed the interim chair, like she was, she's been on the board of directors, yeah. for a couple of years, right? Mm-hmm. So even that, that's not as if they're bringing somebody new, external into the organization. This is still an internal person who's been around, and not to say that she can't do good things or she won't do good things there, but it's not this massive change where they're bringing in outside eyes to look at the situation. It's a uh, tough spot. We'll see what happens, and we'll see uh, some of the. Uh, Reaction to Canada playing its first game at the World Juniors coming up tonight. Uh, a couple of other uh, tidbits I want to get to uh, before we hit the break here. Um, Carolina Hurricanes forward Max Pacioretty out for six months. Six months with a torn Achilles. He was acquired from uh, the Vegas Golden Knights for basically nothing. Actually, nothing. You know, Vegas had to pay yeah. uh, 24-year-old Dylan Coughlin 
uh, as part of the package. And then I think it was future considerations. And future considerations going back uh, to the Vegas Golden Knights. Always love me. A Lo- good, uh, love future considerations. TTBNL, uh, one of my favorite uh, <laughs> players to get in return. Um, this is... I I looked at the Canes as having one of the best off-seasons of the summer, Jamie. They got Max Pacioretty for basically nothing. The exact type of player they needed. A pure finisher. Yeah, getting up there in age, but a guy who can still score and shoot the lights out, especially on a team that can get themselves into really good positions often. That was really going to help, especially on the power play. Now he's out for six months, the better part of the season. That's tough. How are they going to go about fixing that? But you know, even the Brent Burns ad was a good one, but now it's like, how do they replace Max Pacioretty after yeah. they added him? I tell you how, JT Miller. Yeah. <laughs> That's how you there do it. Go. You get JT Miller. One I knew somebody was coming JT in with that. Miller. There we go. All right, well. dog. He's what? just sitting here waiting for you to make the move. Come on, six twenty-two. Yeah, six twenty-two. We need like we a JT Miller foghorn or something. <laughs> <laughs> we were at twenty-two minutes. This is now like you know the joke about how every time there's a, a story in hockey, Leafs fans are like, "How does this affect the yeah. Leafs?" This yeah. is now like anytime there's something happens to another team, it's like, "What does this mean for JT Miller?" Yeah. What does yeah. this mean for JT Miller? Minor Matt Navitzford, six o'clock on the dot. Yeah. Exit in. Is Miller still a Canuck? It's an important <laughs> question to ask. Yes. And yes, Minor Matt, he is still a Canuck. Uh, but what? Uh, what? Hey, now the Max Pacioretty injury could yeah. change everything. Could change everything. You know, they went after one rental. Why not go after another? Here's the thing: I, Carolina does not strike me as the kind of team to make a panic. Oh, oh we got to we got to go offer the farm for JT Miller because yeah. Max Pacioretty is injured for 6 months. I I imagine they they feel pretty confident about their playoff aspirations yeah. even without Max Pacioretty in the lineup for the better part of the season. Like they still do have a pretty loaded lineup. They lost Anthony D'Angelo, but beyond that Team should still be in a pretty decent. Yeah, and they, spot. I mean, they added Brent Burns to to fill in that role as the kind of uh, offensive-minded uh, defenseman on the right side. So it, I would still very much pick them to be comfortably in the playoffs. So I don't know if they need to make yeah. a panic move. It is, you know, the other thing to keep in mind here is Pacioretty's a UFA after this year, right? So yeah. his his tenure with the Hurricanes could end up being very brief. Now they didn't have to give up anything to get him, so that's not that big a deal, but. It is interesting. It looked like such a good fit, and who knows how long we'll even see it now when the season rolls around. So this injury, though, not exactly one that's easy to come back from ever in your athletic career, but especially when you are into your mid-30s. I think when Kevin Durant got it against the Raptors in the uh, NBA Finals a few years ago, it was like, well, Kevin Durant's over the age of 30 Mm -hmm. now, and if you look at athletes that have suffered this kind of an injury – in their 30s, they generally do not come back as good as they were before. Now, Durant has uh, obviously been able to still come back and play really well, but he is uh, a freak when it comes to being able to play basketball. Max Pacioretty, really good hockey player. This is going to be a tough injury to come back from. Even six months uh, as the timeline, great. Is he able to play at his best level at any point this year? I think that's a real question that Carolina has to be asking themselves if they want to do better than the second round of the postseason. And you know what? I mean, 
I doesn't this also kind of set up for a, a classic Nikita Kucherov scenario? Oh yeah, <laughs> right. Pacioretty's old. Okay, six month timeline, but he's he's gonna just need, he's, he's going to need longer. to rehab. He's you know it's not it's not going as fast as we wanted it to. We're really going to take our time with it. All of a sudden, you open up seven million dollars in cap space that you can use, and then you can bring Max Pacioretty back for for game one of the playoffs. That it it seems like it's on the table at least here. Uh, Texter coming in hard at me. They only lost D'Angelo. They lost Trocheck and Niederreiter too. Offense actually seems worse. Come on, Dan. Uh, thank you for filling in the gaps there. Yes, they also lost Nino Niederreiter and Vincent Trocheck in unrestricted free agency. Guys like that, though, Carolina does have a history of being able to replace them and move on with lesser names. Yeah. Well, and Niederreiter. You know, I I really like Nino Nino Niederreiter as a player, but that's what you got Max Patch ready for, right? Yeah. Like he 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 stepped into that spot, and that's probably an upgrade for you know Vincent Trocheck, as you said. I like Trocheck too, but that's kind of what Carolina does. They let other teams overpay for those guys, and then they find the cheaper solution somewhere else, right? Yep. Bigger role for Martin Netchas this year, probably mm-hmm. uh, signed uh, two years, three million yesterday. He was a restricted free agent, and I mean. Just an early tidbit for the upcoming season. Seth Jarvis, probably going to have a big year yep. for the Carolina Hurricanes. Now, having said that about the Hurricanes, you know, replacing those players on the cheap, they they still could very much use a top six center. Yep. <laughs> and so, hey, maybe uh, maybe A-Dog's on to something with the JT Miller chatter. Yasperi Kokanyemi? I just, I have a sense that they're going to go for JT Miller, boys. I don't know. <laughs> My bones are rattling. I just I just feel it. It's going to happen. We got to channel this together. I think as a group. if uh, I think if Jesperi Kakaniemi is in your is one of your top six centers, that's that's a big red flag for your playoff hopes for your hopes to go deep in the playoffs. <laughs> well, they gave him like a, a forever contract. They, did. they really like him. Uh, the most undeserved long term deal in the history of the NHL. Proof proof that even really smart teams can make mistakes. Yeah. Uh, it was just like a double down. Well, I guess we got you to the offer sheet, so now we have to do. They this. gave him a first round pick too, yes. did they not? Yeah. To get him, yeah. Uh, that was a part of the offer sheet compensation. Yeah. Um, so Carolina, interesting spot for them. Uh, there was some Canucks news yesterday, and it wasn't about J.T. Miller, much to a dog's chagrin. <laughs> yes, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Chagrin's really the only word to use there. Yes, <laughs> it's a great word to throw in a sentence. Like, That's know? really the only like construction you pocket. use chagrin in. Uh, Much to somebody's chagrin. Uh, I don't think I would ever use chagrin. In, no, I, I don't even know how you would use it. In you could say, I think you could say somebody was chagrined about something. <laughs> I'm feeling no chagrin. Yeah, no, you'd never say that. Uh, so yes, there was uh, a bit of Canucks news yesterday, as uh, well some. Uh, Some new Canucks are getting ready for the season and have arrived in Vancouver. That's coming up next on Sportsnet 650. It's Alfred and Bruff in the morning. Dan Richo and Jamie Dodd with you for the week. Alfred and Bruff, the official automotive sponsor of Alfred and Bruff, is the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today in hour one 
of the program is presented by Avenue Machinery. Build your company to win with Kubota from Avenue Machinery. A text coming in. How did Pacioretty tear his Achilles? Uh, the answer, we don't know. Let's get the conspiracy theories going. We do not know. The Carolina Hurricanes did not give us much to go on. Isn't that odd that they wouldn't mention that in their presser? Usually the press there is some sort of like tidbit to go on. But like if the Red Sox just said uh, Chris Sale broke his wrist, he will not return for the rest of the season. Is there any like, you know, reaction for the rest of the day? It's almost like they wanted to shame Chris Sale because he's not like pitched so little since they gave him all the money. <laughs> and here he was doing something we told him not to do. They threw him under the yeah. bus. Um, that was kind of funny though. <laughs> Chris Sale broke his wrist in a bike accident over the weekend. Um, it's uh, yeah, don't know how Max Pacioretty got hurt, but no, no, like we don't know if it was in training or what. It's a mystery. It's an awful way to go to, to get an injury, though. Tearing your Achilles, that's uh, awfully, awfully painful. Is it a recurring thing? I'm not a, I've never had an Achilles injury. Is it something that you can re-tear easily? I'm not sure. I'm not athletic it. enough to know these things, you know? <laughs> we need to get a doctor on the show. Please explain this. I, I, like, I, I play <laughs> golf once a week, you know. I've been playing beer league once a week in I mean, the winters. I, I feel, I'm not a doctor, but I feel like if it – Tears once, it can tear again. Why not? Yeah. Right? I don't think I've ever exerted myself enough yeah. to tear my Achilles. I don't think it's like chicken pox where it's like, oh, you've had it once. You're good now. You're immune. I'm just wondering if there, if there's a chance of a, a higher percentage of it. Happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, like how many guys in baseball have had like multiple Tommy Johns? Yep. You know. More than a few. Yep. Just like, well, now I've got a bionic arm with a bunch of like random tendons from somewhere else in my body. My arm's actually stronger now. This is amazing. Uh, Table Saw James says, Jim Rutherford slew-footed patches to facilitate a JT Miller trade. He put out a hit on him. Yeah, exactly. This is what I want you to do. Found out who was training with him. Why is Jim Rutherford coming out on the ice with us? Chris Sale crashed into him with his bike. (laughs) So, uh, yes, Max Pacioretty out six months. No, uh, minor Matt, we will not do a wrong answers only. Uh, That is (laughs) not... It's not a. Uh, <laughs> it's not. It's not a. It's not a people show. It's not segment. the people show. Not the people show here. Yep. Chris one, t- one text are glad Dan finds it funny when athletes get hurt. We should clarify. Who said that? It's not Nobody funny when athletes get hurt, except if it's on a bike accident. Yes. Then it's slightly funny. That is. That's the only time, though. Somewhat funny. It's yeah. not funny that he got hurt. It's funny that the Red Sox are upset about it. Yes. That's the circumstances and the fact that he did it to himself. Yeah. yeah. Too. I don't know, falling over on a bike and injuring yourself, it's kind of funny. I mean, come on. Like, this humor. has There's been a, a sports radio segment at least once a year in my lifetime. Yeah, like, funniest athlete so funniest injuries. Funniest athlete injuries of all time after. I mean, if you fall down a flight of stairs and injure yourself, it is objectively funny. <laughs> you got to admit Yes, that. if you slip while, you know, coming out of the shower. <laughs> it's like, yeah, sorry. As long as you survive, it's, it's objectively funny. Uh, if you get a blister from playing too much Nintendo... And now you yeah. can no longer pitch. Now that's funny. Like, I'm sorry. I'm, that, I'm, that's I'm going to laugh about it. I mean, we've all been there, right? I mean, come on. Joel Zumaia has. Yeah. <laughs> How many Joel Zumaia references can I get on the show this week? I'm here for it. <laughs> Somebody needs to. He was ahead of his time, man. He was he was hitting triple digits all the time <laughs> back when nobody was doing it. 
Uh, so yeah, now now everybody does it, except if you're in the Blue Jays. Unless you're <laughs> unless you play for the Blue Jays, then you do not do it. I swear, I'm like I'm ready for them to call up guys from the Canadians. Like that guy could throw 98. Like just let's go, just throw him in there. Well, Tiedemann, who was on the Seas earlier this year, yeah, there's a chance he could do it. Just just bring him in. You know? Where is he in their depth chart? It's tough to say with a with a young prospect. Right yeah, now. I mean, in terms of skill, he's right up there. He's, yeah, he's he's making all the prospect lists. So, and right now he's in Double uh, A, I believe. I just I'm I'm so starved for bullpen help that like I saw. Oh, Nate Pearson is throwing off flat ground now. Oh. It's like, all right, here we go. Get him back in the pen for September. There's your deadline acquisition. <laughs> yes, Nate Pearson. exactly. Yeah. Can Dan go back to afternoons? No, not not for this week at least. Oh, sorry, Texter. <laughs> You can uh, you can go listen to something else for the rest of the week if you so choose. Uh, it's Alfred and Bruff in the morning, Dan Richo and Jamie Dodd. So I uh, got a note from uh, Dan Milstein yesterday on Twitter. Andre Kuzmenko has arrived in Vancouver. The Lemonade Man, <laughs> apparently. <laughs> uh, I guess that's like a thing celebrities do to yeah. like hide their identity at the airport. <laughs> yes. Come up with a code name. And so Andre Kuzmenko was not Andre Kuzmenko. He's he's the lemonade guest, according to <laughs> to his limo driver at uh, at YVR Airport, which I like. You know, pretty clever. I like that. Mm-hmm. And then obviously uh, revealing it to the masses afterwards. Lemonade guest. I love that he kept the like the <laughs> the driver in the photo too, just like in the background, like. Hey man, get some recognition here. Um, so lemonade guest Andre Kuzmenko is now uh into Vancouver. And I it just, you know, it kind of got me thinking again of what should I expect? What should Canucks fans expect out of this player for the season, Jamie? And to me, he is the biggest wild card on the Canucks roster going into the year. It's so tough because there seems like there's such a wide range of possible outcomes, right? Yeah. And you want to you want to keep your expectations as reasonable and as measured as possible, but at the same time, you see how many other teams were interested in this player. You know, he had a breakout season in the KHL last year. You know what the skill level is, and I think it's difficult not to let your kind of imagination run wild a little bit, right? And hey man, what what kind of impact can this guy have? One thing that's going to be Really fascinating to see how it shakes out is, you know, if this is the Canucks roster going into the season, there's going to be a ton of competition for playing time at forward, for top six spots, top six spots, offensive opportunities, power play time, which is a place where Kuzmenko can potentially really help. You know, can he earn his way on to power play one? Well, it's going to be difficult to do if JT Miller is still here in particular, right? You've got a pretty locked in power play one unit. So, Kuzmenko, it's the kind of thing where he could play really well, but because of his pecking order in the Canucks forward group, the the counting stats might not come right away. He might have to earn that ice time a little bit in a crowded group. So, you know, I don't want to, I don't think anybody should be looking at, oh, he's going to score 50 points or something like that because he might not get the ice time to do it. But on a per minute basis, I think it's reasonable to expect him to be pretty productive this year, right? So he was a really productive power play player in in the KHL. And one of the selling points we were told for him in Vancouver was that 
Not that he was guaranteed a spot on the power play, but they envisioned him having a role on the power play. Where is that role on the power play with the way the Canucks are currently constructed? It was almost as if the Canucks somewhat expected Uh a forward to be moving out and Kuzmenko could slide into that role. Hint, hint, nudge, nudge, JT Miller. And that hasn't obviously materialized because the Canucks haven't gotten an offer that they really love. But all of that, like, who are you taking off the number one power play unit right now? Besser? Besser would be the first candidate. Mm -hmm. You're not taking Horvat off in the bumper spot. You're not taking Miller off the left half wall. You're not taking Pedersen off the right half wall. And you're certainly not going five forwards without Quinn Hughes on the ice. I just I don't see where Andre Kuzmenko is going to fit on the top power play unit. And yeah, you can say, well, you can build out two really strong units. Like the second unit maybe gets forty five seconds no. in a good chance. The second unit is never going to be close to as important as the first unit. Never. When you're structured like the Canucks are and they have so much firepower on the first unit. Second unit's an afterthought, realistically, right? And hey, it's great to have an effective one, and if Kuzmenko can drive the second unit to be more effective and be more productive, that's awesome, but it's not going to add up to huge minutes on the power play and huge opportunities on the power play. And, you know, to your point, yeah, Besser would be the candidate, but, I mean, they just signed Besser to a three-year extension, right? He's a Mm -hmm. proven guy on the power play. He can help that unit be really, really good when it's at its best. So did have 10-plus power play goals last year. Kuzmenko would have to really show something to break into that or wait for an injury or something like that for his chance on the first power play unit, I would think, as things currently stand. Uh, this text, he's going to be a fourth-line plug. It's very uh, cheery here on this Wednesday morning. Um, I, I could see all the ranges of outcomes. I can see him being, you know, Vadim Shipachev or uh, would Nikita Gusev apply? Like, Gusev did at least have one good yeah. year in the NHL from a production standpoint. He should be able to score. I guess, you know, who do you pair him with is probably the That's a huge question, question, right? Is it is it Pedersen? Is it Miller? Do you have the three centers again with Horvat, Miller, and Pedersen down the middle? I think that opens up a bigger spot for Kuzmenko probably off of the left wing. I would say I'm, first player I'm going to try him out with is probably... Elias Pettersson. That's where I would go as well, right? Yeah. And because Kuzmenko is a better passer than he is yeah. a shooter. So you just think about it. You know, JT Miller does a lot of the playmaking for yeah. whatever line he is on, right? And you know, he had a lot of success with uh, Brock Besser on, on his wing and, and Tanner Pearson as well on his wing at times last year. So that's kind of a unit I would be looking at potentially keeping together. And then with Bo Horvat, you know, you got to figure again he's going to be in line to take a lot of the matchup minutes, a lot of the heavier minutes defensive zone starts, things like that, is that really where you want to put Andre Kuzmenko? Does, is he a fit in a, in a situation like that? No, probably not. And so you're kind of left with Elias Pettersson, which I think is the best fit anyways, because as you said, Elias Pettersson's such a talented shooter to have a playmaker with Kuzmenko's upside on his wing could be potentially really dangerous. And you also got to think, okay, if you put Pettersson and Kuzmenko, the coaching staff is going to do everything they can to get those guys good offensive opportunities. Yeah. You know, offensive zone starts, minutes against uh, opposition lower down the lineup if they can. They're going to put those guys in a position to succeed offensively. I think that makes the most sense as a starting point. 
Kuzmenko, Pedersen, Pod Colson. That's where I would go. Yeah. Right? You can it's pretty easy to picture that in your mind's eye and see how it would work out pretty well. It might help Kuzmenko, who's not known to be the most defensive of forwards, mm-hmm. to have two more defensively responsible players with him as yep. well. And you know, you got Pod Coles who can do a lot of the puck retrieval, that kind of yeah. thing, go to the net, play that heavy game that the other two aren't necessarily gonna bring it. It sounds on paper or reads on paper like three players who would complement each other really well. Yeah. And uh, it, it does raise question marks of you know, how does Nils Hoaglander fit into mm-hmm. the lineup and those types of things that we've talked about through the course of the summer. But I do think that they're going to give Kuzmenko every chance and every opportunity to make the most of this. And I think that's really the best place to do it. Um, I, is it Pearson, Miller, Besser as a line together again, they did work very well last year as kind of a heavy line that could work well below the hash marks. And then the Horvat line with Mikheyev could potentially be more of a defensive mm-hmm. line that could score on the counterattack sort of thing. Now, one of the interesting things about the Canucks lineup and how you want to put it together is the guy who's left over that we haven't talked about who would slot in with Horvat and Mikheyev is Connor Garland. Yeah, not that doesn't necessarily fit into that. Not that he's bad defensively. He's a smart defensive. He's a player. smart defensive player, and I think he could keep up with those guys. But are you getting the most out of Connor Garland in that role, yeah. right? Or would you rather put him in a different situation? And I think that's one of the puzzles. The Canucks forward group is really interesting because it's got a lot of depth. It's got a lot of skill. Guys who can do different things. But it also, it's not the kind of thing where you look at it and there's one obvious way to fit all the pieces together, I think, right? Yeah. And I think there's going to be a lot of tinkering and a lot of fiddling, especially early in the season, to try to figure out, okay, how can we get all the guys in their best roles? How can we find that chemistry? And really, it's it's it falls into the classic, you know, good problem to have category. Because yeah. you've got guys who can do different things, who can play with di- different guys. You're going to experiment, but it is going to be a process, I think, to figure out what's the best configuration of this forward group. So uh, a lot to still think about there. Andre Kuzmenko, you know, again, uh, wouldn't be the first time I've said this, but, you know, I don't think you can expect him to be Artemi Panarin or Kirill no. Kaprizov. No, uh, So maybe pump the brakes there. But It'd be nice. Uh, Evgeny Dadanov is maybe a, a, a best-case mm-hmm. scenario type of yeah. comp. I would say, of uh, Russian players that have come over from the K. Uh, text coming in. I'd love to see Power Play 1 without Horvat. Sorry. Uh, shout out to Bick for texting in on his uh, on his vacation time. I was going to say, Bick, what are you, what's going on, bro? You're up at 6.45 in the Horvat, morning? I mean, Horvat, he's legitimately elite at scoring from the bumper spot. Like, that play is the most has been the most effective Yeah. It's been more effective for than the, Canucks. the Patterson one-timer. Yes. No, yeah. no doubt. that That's their bread and butter, how they score goals. And maybe it works so well because of the threat of the Patterson one-timer. Probably. Because teams have shaded towards mm-hmm. covering Pedersen on the right half wall, and it opens up the down low, you know, one two up to the the bumper spot for Horvat. But if you look at Horvat's numbers, and sometimes you know I've listed it as a knock on Horvat if I'm being truthful about it, but he does score a ton on the power play. He's got over the last three seasons, thirty one of his goals have come on yeah. the power play. It's legit one of his best attributes, yeah. right? Is his ability to be effective in that spot on the power play, his ability to convert on the power play. So uh, 
keep that in mind. Actually, uh, 32 of Horvat's goals in the last three seasons have come on the power play. That would comfortably put him in amongst the better players scoring on the power play in the league, and I believe he did leave the Canucks in that category again this past season. Uh, People love talking hockey in the middle of August. They sure do. Horvat's unreal. What's wrong with people? (laughs) Bix an idiot. Wow, now Bix catching strays because of us. Now, to be fair, that was not actually Bix texting in. No. That was just a joke I was making. Don't pin that one on Bix. (laughs) Bix just going to be getting texts when he wakes up in the morning like, what the? Uh, All right. Tell us what you think Andre Kuzmenko might look like uh, for the Vancouver Canucks coming up this season. Um, You alerted me to this story. Yes. This morning. When we got in. Now, I, I did not know this, Jamie, that this was even a thing in the homeland of my parents. But uh, Domino's is calling it quits in Italy. <laughs> yep. The end of an era. <laughs> the end of an era for Domino's Who? in Italy. What? How is this even a thing? I like, Okay. Okay. So uh, Domino's shows up in Italy in 2015. Yeah. Uh, seven years later, they're saying, okay, yeah. this was a bad idea. So they had they had 29 stores yeah. all closed. They originally planned to have 880 stores in oh Italy. Oh, my God. They were like, we're going to take over. Italians aren't going to just wait until they get a taste of Domino's. Yeah, There's going to be one on every corner. Turns out uh, Italians really don't like pineapple on pizza. I... Who was in the pitch room when they were like, you know what? Italy. That's that's where we're going next. Well, look, what do we know about Italians? They love pizza. It's a natural <laughs> fit, Dan. You want to dominate the pizza it's world. You need to take fit. over Italy first. That's your first strike. Like, then you become pizza champ. What Italian is like, you know, strolling through the streets of Rome and being like, you know what? All these great pizza joints, this artisanal pizza. Homemade mom and pop yeah. shops everywhere I turn. I'm gonna go to Domino's. I'm gonna get a buffalo chicken, a large buffalo chicken you know what, from, I'm, uh, I'm from gonna, Domino's. I'm gonna try the uh, the Americano pizza. Huh? You know that's uh, that's gonna be the good one. Do they have Little Caesars in Italy? <laughs> no, they definitely do not. <laughs> little Caesars. So I feel like that's an untapped. Well, market. it's from. I mean, little little Caesar bread. from Rome. Well, it fits exactly. right in. Exactly. I, what I want to know is, like, did Domino's do anything different, or did they just go with their same recipes that they have everywhere else into Italy? Because even Starbucks, they tried to break into Italy, and it was like, <laughs> no, yeah, this is not this is not going to work. And now they've built like apparently this like incredible Starbucks reserve in Milan to just try and entice. Italians to go to Starbucks. McDonald's is different in Italy. Yeah. You know, like everything's a little bit different to try and cater to the demographic. But Domino's, it's like, meh, I, I this is this is a tough look. So according to the I'm reading it on Bloomberg here, uh, they entered Italy in twenty fifteen through a franchising agreement with something called E Pizza Spa. I have no idea what that is. It sounds great. Uh, yeah. Plan to eat nothing like E Pizza. Plan to distinguish itself by providing a structured national delivery service along with American-style toppings, including pineapple. <laughs> so I think their plan was just like, we're Domino's, we're great. Yeah. Italy, Italians will love us. Why wouldn't they? It says here they uh, they had a pizza called the Havaiana. 
I'm sure the Italians really uh, yeah. really took to that one. Well, straight out of the office, right? When Michael yeah. goes to New York <laughs> yes. for yeah. the first time, he's like, I'm going to get a New York slice, and he goes to Sparrow, yeah. Yeah. which yeah, is like, like chain. One of the worst ones. <laughs> yeah. I'm just imagining like um, the next, you know, like uh, you know, like Edo in, in mall food courts. Like, yes. I'm going to go to Edo with my pitch. You know where you guys should expand to? <laughs> Tokyo. <laughs> I think you guys would do really well in Tokyo. Yeah, you do really well. There's this well untapped there. market there. We feel yeah. you guys would be huge. This is gonna be. This is gonna be great. This is gonna work. Like who go. other than like drunk North Americans are walking through the streets of Italy? And yeah, like, oh, you yeah, know what yeah. I want. I, I want desperately, right I desperately now. need so a Dominoes. Dad, is pineapple on pizza? Is that like a? Oh no, not a thing no. in Italy. That, it's it, well, it's what, definitely not for me. Would they look <laughs> at it? Definitely not in Italy. Would they look at it and just be like, "What is this? Like, yeah. Why are you doing this? Why, why is there pineapple on pizza? Yeah, no." This is. Uh, I feel you. It's an abomination. Pineapple on pizza does not does it, not need to exist. It's a very polarizing issue, though. Mm. I mean, if you want to get people arguing, not talk to about, me. Talk Let about people pineapple enjoy on pizza. things, guys. Let people enjoy See? things. See, it started already. I'm not even a huge pineapple on pizza guy, but just yeah. If people like it, don't eat it, and you're happy. I like it. I love a good Hawaiian pizza. Yeah, fantastic. It's not bad. It's awful. Here we go. <laughs> Sensational. I'm the fence sitter on this. On this, such a polarizing topic. I'm like, I would oh. love to just you know. Go to Florence, order a nice <laughs> Hawaiian pizza from Domino's. That I can get behind. Eating a How Hawaiian. How did you get deported from Italy? I ordered a pineapple pizza, and I guess they didn't like it. And they've revoked my passport. Uh, I wonder if anybody was like, you know what, guys? This is probably a bad idea. <laughs> the one you know? executive was like, what are we thinking? <laughs> Apparently, they went like significantly into debt, too, because oh, they, they planned to open all these stores, and so they really leveraged themselves. <laughs> they put it all on going to Italy. Uh, Uber Uber Eats, you know, they were like, you know, Domino's is just going to crush it in Italy. Like, we're just going to completely own the delivery game service in, in Italy. Then Uber Eats showed yeah. up. Yeah, and then they're like, oh, <laughs> now you can just, like, get Uber Eats from a mom and pop one. <laughs> Ugh, that's I mean, a problem. Actually good pizza. That's a problem. Uh, next on Halford and Bruff is a hot dog a sandwich. Uh, also, Nick McCarville, digital host for the National Bank Open in uh, Toronto, is going to join us. Kind of a big day. Serena Williams, her first match after announcing yesterday she will be retiring. Nick joins us next on the show. It's Sportsnet 650.